The Merchant Sales Podcast is brought to you by Valor Paytech, the payment technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting. Valor Paytech is a processor agnostic solution with all of the omni-channel features you're looking for, standalone terminals, mobile devices, desktop, gateway, e-invoices, all with cash discounting and surcharging in mind. I would encourage you to take a moment to get a free demo of Valor Paytech. Head over to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, to get your free demo today and to watch videos and read information about this amazing new processor agnostic omni-channel technology solution. Well, folks, welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. James, I'm really excited about this uh, about this podcast. I've known Bob Carr for many years. Yeah, uh, I consider him one of the the preeminent veterans of this industry. And really is. It was so great that we got him to talk to us, and I think he he provided some really great insights for from his experience. Yeah. that our that our listeners can um, can put to work. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think, uh, you know, just just being able to speak with somebody like Bob Carr and then for our audience to be able to get those insights that he was able to share with us. A lot of stuff we talked about with reputation and things. I just thought there was a lot of really good kind of key points in that one. And so um, we're, we're definitely excited to bring that. And then questions from the field, I talk about restaurants and cash discounting. So yeah. that is finally in play. I mean, you can absolutely go out and sell restaurants and cash discounting. I won't do a spoiler alert, but let's just say it has to do with QR codes. So uh, you'll have to check that out. And then, Patty, what's our insider's report about today? Uh, we're talking about the uh, PPP loan forgiveness program. And, uh, you know, if you're one of those millions of businesses that got a loan for under 50 grand, you're going to want to listen to this. Yep. It's time to get your loan forgiven. And it's uh, easier than ever, as Patty shares with us today. So I'm excited, Patty. Let's dive into our interview with Bob. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. All right, everybody. I am here today with Bob Carr, founder and CEO at Beyond. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm doing great, James. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh, Patty and I today are really excited to talk to Bob about the ins and outs of just learning the payments industry and really becoming a payments expert. But before we do that, Bob, I know you have a long track record of success in the industry. And I know personally, I would just love to hear your story. So tell us how you got into this crazy industry and how you ended up founding Beyond. Well, I'll try to run through this quickly. Um, <laughs> When I was in high school, my goal was to go to college and become a high school math teacher. And when I realized that uh, those who did, couldn't get an A or a B in calculus want, were going to be high school math teachers, I decided <laughs> to change my goal to become a math professor. Oh. And uh, along the way there, I, this brand new department was started at the University of Illinois called the Computer Science Department. and. Uh, to make a long story short, there were six of us that were recruited to be in the very first graduating class of computer science at Illinois, which told us that they were the first school in the country to offer a graduate degree in computer science. So anyway, way back then, um, I, I taught at a community college, became director of their computer center. And at the age of 26, the day I could no longer be drafted, uh, I started my, my business. And my business was basically mainframe software and services. 
Uh, but when the PCs came out, I was Johnny on the spot in the, like 79 and moved to move my software over to PCs, wrote a bunch of uh, integrated accounting software uh, in the, for a few years. And then one of my customers said, hey, uh, if you can write the, do my credit cards off of my fuel pumps, why can't you do uh, Visa and MasterCard? Huh. That was in 1987 and a long time ago. And that's when I learned how to spell recurring revenue. <laughs> and I've been in the credit card business ever since. Started a company uh, called Credit Card Software. And I merged that into a new department of a bank in St. Louis called Heartland Bank. And in 1997, we formed this company called Heartland Payment Systems. Right. Uh, that, was in two, that was in 1997. We bought out the bank in 2000. They bought, bought out their interest in our company in 2000, raised some money in 2001 from Wall Street, went public in 2005, and Global came along and made an offer we couldn't refuse for $4.3 billion and, and bought our company in 2016. Sure. You just couldn't stay still, huh, Bob? I mean, you just had to keep going. <laughs> well, you know, there were a whole lot of uh, employees and customers that were not happy that uh -huh. we sold the company. And I have this uh, charity that I am very committed to, and I wanted to be able to, uh, we put kids through college, and I wanted to put more kids through college, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I remember talking to you, actually, not long after you'd started Beyond, and I was oh. really taken by that. That It was like, you know, I've made, it all, I've made a lot of money, but I really want to help kids, especially kids who can't afford college. Right. And uh, yeah. that, that part of your story has always uh, been close to my heart. Well, thank you, Patty. We're at, we are now up to 1,500 kids. Oh, wow. awesome. They awesome. All have, they have, all have full rides to uh, one of 30 different universities in the country. So it's, it's really worked out better than I ever expected. I'm so wow. happy we've been able to help so many kids. That's wow. That's, amazing. that's great, Bob. Uh, so, so Bob, let's, let's transition into our topic today. So we're talking about the importance of really becoming a payments expert. Uh, and so a lot of our listeners, you know, they're all in the credit card processing industry in one way or another. And, you know, one thing that's always frustrated me in the industry as I look at ISOs in general, many of them, frankly, don't put a lot of work into training and developing their people. But when I look at Heartland, when I look at Beyond, the companies that you have founded, I see there's that focus there. And so I guess my first question to you is just, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Why do you believe that's so important? And what do you see as the upside from really just focusing on developing and training your your people, specifically your sales team? That is a really good set of questions. And uh, I'm, I'm going to take a crack at them. Um, the world's changed a lot, obviously. And uh, the, the hurdle has been for years, decades probably, of getting a merchant to understand or getting a rep to understand how to read a statement so that they could determine how much margin the merchant was paying and they undercut it. And that's the business model of a, of a lot of salespeople. And as the world's moved into integrated services, the software companies that provide the core system for the merchant, the core computer system, uh, they want to tie in the payments information into their other right. uh, applications that they're using on their computer. And so you can still make money in this business if you have a good network by selling on price because mm -hmm. there are real prices are higher than they've ever been. 
Mm -hmm. uh, ever since 1987, I don't think there's been a year that's gone by that somebody hasn't told me how margins were compressing. Right. <laughs> as long as I've been in this business, I've heard them say that. Right. Here race right. to the bottom. <laughs> but uh, it's not been a race to the bottom. Maybe the trans the cost the price per transaction has come down, mm -hmm. but there's so many more transactions. Right. That our sure. average revenue per merchant has gone up a lot in the last five years. Right. So to me, the key, the, the main key is having a good reputation and being honest and, um, and understanding how the merchants are charged. But mm -hmm. then the next level is to become an expert in the way the software works for that type of a company right. and become an expert in what's the optimum system for EP, an EPR uh, system for a merchant of the different categories. Uh, now there are these new tools and James, I don't know how much you're into this because it's very new. There's a half a dozen companies out there, at least I know of four, that um, now have scanning tools to scan a statement and they come back and they go line by line through the merchant statement and say whether or not that's the true cost and what the markup is. Uh, is that something you've been, yeah I, I actually I own one of those four companies I did not know that I did not know that so congratulations I don't know how that's going to impact the world yet I mean it's sure pretty darn new yes but I think it's going to help a lot uh, but to me the real key is understanding the merchant situation better than they do because most merchants they really know how to run a restaurant or right. hair or whatever, right? but they don't really understand the different pieces of the puzzle that make things work financially. Right. Yes. Right. And if you can help them understand that better, they're going to trust you. Hey, this person knows my business. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and it's interesting because, you know, as somebody that is deeply involved in that advancement of technology, when it comes to statements, one thing that I think is interesting is <clears throat> a lot of people look at that like, well, I don't need to understand statements anymore because now there's a tool. Yeah. Now, you know, yes, it can break it down, but ultimately you still have to have that expertise to really understand what those things are that are on the statement. Just saying to a merchant, I can save you a thousand dollars a month. They're going to say, prove it, you know, explain right. it to me. And so right. um, I still think that expertise is, is so crucial. So, so Bob, when we talk about, you know, training and you talk about this expertise and understanding these different business types, Talk about a new agent. You know, there's a lot of people listening that come into the business, they were selling cars or they were selling insurance or something like that. You know, what have you done over the years? What do you think are the keys for that individual to get up to speed to the point where they can have these educated conversations with merchants? How have you helped those, those agents uh, through the years? Well, I wish I could tell you I had the, uh, the keys to the kingdom on that one, but I, I sure don't. At the end of the day, it comes down to two major things in my mind. One is what's the networking capability? Mm. Uh, you know, if you sell cars, right. you know, you know all these people. If you have a good reputation, if you have a bad reputation, and you're coming out of a different industry, it's going to be tough to get where you want to be. The uh, this the people who are experienced in the industry unteach them. <laughs> some of their bad habits yes and that that's a challenge too and uh the the, mo the most important thing though i'll come back to it is 
are you trusted by people? You know, hmm. are you, do you have, do you come across as a trustworthy person? Uh, do you really believe in treating your merchants properly? Mm-hmm. Because in so it's such a high percentage of reps out there, their back isn't covered by their employer. Right. They ought to say, okay, your rate is, you know, going to be one uh, nine, nine and 15 cents. But what you don't, what you don't feel comfortable saying is, but my company might raise that rate in six months. Mm-hmm. In fact, you'll say, oh, no, that's going reps are always not saying things that aren't true. Like that rate will never go up. And uh, that's not the practice of most huh. companies in this industry these days. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I love this. You keep going back to this theme of, of reputation. And I think it's important because, you know, even Patty and I would know, like on the podcast, we always end up talking about how to sell on price or how to sell on, you know, integrated technology solutions. But I think what you're saying is ultimately a bigger piece of that is you're actually selling on your reputation, right? And so if if you have a bad reputation in your market, it's a small world. It's going to be an uphill battle for you. It's going to be tough. And, uh, you know, we have our promises. uh, We have 10 promises for the merchants and 10 promises for the sales reps. We live that and breathe it every day. And, and, And there are others in the industry who do as well. But your job is to convince people that, that those things are, those promises are valid, valid and that they'll be kept. And uh, how well that's done is going to be a big factor in the success of the sales rep. Sure, sure. So let's, let's dive in a little bit more. You alluded to veterans a minute ago and saying that there were some, maybe some things they needed to unlearn. Um, well, there's a lot of veterans listening right now. So what do you feel maybe are some of the things that those that have been in the business for 5, 10, 15 years, what are some of the maybe negative habits or things that they need to overcome to really achieve their potential in this business? Well, selling on rate would be at the top. <laughs> selling sure. on rate is, yeah. is uh, everybody knows that that's not the, the best way to do it. The best way to do it is to have a relationship with somebody that really trusts you and to have a pocket full of related products that can integrate together uh, so that you can really put together a nice solution uh, for the merchant. Uh, that's probably the number one thing that experienced people have. Uh, other things are just, um, they don't know the, they don't know the way the payment integrates into the business. And that's really, really crucial. And it's the world's changing so much and so rapidly right now, moving to, to more sophisticated POSs and ERPs. So uh, I think, uh, having, you know, ha- having a more in-depth knowledge of the needs of that particular merchant is, is what you have to teach a veterans, uh, in the business. So well, what about the sales, your sales leaders, Bob, you know, I, I've heard different opinions in terms of, you know, promoting from within versus going to outside for, you know, sales management talent, talent. What are your thoughts on this? And, uh, you know, how have you developed leaders well, from your in your in your experience? On page two of most sales books, it says, "A good salesman doesn't make a good manager." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've heard that. But, but it's not always true, right? Because an awful lot of the sales leaders were salespeople, 
-hmm. And how can you lead somebody to do something you've never done? Never done, right? Yeah. So I, I've never really followed, you know, believe that. I believe that if a salesperson wants to manage people, that's the real key. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be in the HR business, then you want to be a leader, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I wish I could tell you we had the magic formula for that as well. Uh, again, to me, it's like, okay, the sales leader's job is to take care of her people and to make sure that they're being successful. And that means a commitment of time and effort. And uh, if it's done well, it pays really, really well. And if it's done poorly, it doesn't pay very well at all. So I think just eliminating a whole category of people um, because of a cute phrase, I, I think that's wrongheaded. And, yeah, I don't think that's the right thing at all. And my and my experience from from what you've done is you've brought a lot of industry veterans into Beyond. So clearly, we brought some great people into Beyond. <laughs> so clearly, you believe you believe that 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 progression can be made correctly. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it seems like in my experience, it's it's different skill sets, but they're not mutually exclusive. Right. right. So some people are really good at sales. Some people are really good at sales management. Some people are really good at both. Um, right. right. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I agree with you. And I, I definitely I, I think what I've seen more often than not is it seems like those those salespeople at the really at the top pinnacle, the, the absolute, you know, one percenters, sometimes they get frustrated by sales management because they know they could do it better and, and they kind of get a little frustrated with the, they, their people aren't getting up to the potential that they want them to fast enough. Um but you know, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. That is so, so true. And here's where you, you have a real inherent problem, which I think we may have a solution to finally. And that is the sales manager of the sales rep. Oftentimes the sales manager has been around less time than the successful rep. Uh -huh. And the successful rep, you know, especially the one percenters, they make way more money than their manager. Right. right. So when you change managers, does the, the new manager get the benefit of the overrides on this one percenter? And does the one percent one percenter happy about that? No, the one percenter is like, wait a minute, I just did X right. thousands of dollars of business, and this guy's getting X, X, you know, Y percentage of that. He didn't earn that. I did all that. He didn't right. help me. I learned the business before. And so finally, after all these years, we have figured out a way to give the manager a little bit of the payment, but a different level of payment. And the difference goes back to the number one, one percentage. We'll see if that, check with me. In That's five yeah, I'll, I'll come back in a few years and ask you about that, Bob. That's actually sounds like an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, an interesting yeah. approach. Yeah, I agree with you though. I definitely see that rub a lot in cons in the consulting side, where, you know, the the one percenters. I mean, they you know, and I think too. I think a lot of managers don't don't necessarily enjoy managing the one percenters because, you know, they, they they're getting the things success. done. They enjoy the success. The of success it. of it, right? Sure. They win their trips and get to the president's club and <laughs> right. all those things because of the one percenter. Exactly. Yeah, but the so one percenters is, are a pain. I mean, there's no other way to put it They're because they're moving so fast. You know, they're getting things done. I know I was a one percenter and it's like, you know, you don't, you don't want to wait around. You want to come on, I got to get this done. They don't like the administrative headaches and stuff. And right. so it does seem like sales managers sometimes kind of chafe and, and back and forth with one percenters, you know. And they also have to like balance that whole thing. Like, you know, how do, how do you approach them to get them to do some of the things that they don't want to do, but they're going to have to do anyway? Right. Or do they just do it themselves? Right, right. 
So Bob, for my last question, it's a really broad question, but with your years of industry experience and you know seeing the the sales organization that you have now, when you look at the payments industry right now, you know our listeners are mostly ISO owners, uh, individual sales agents, ISO executives. What do you see as the biggest opportunities that they should you know have on their radar screen for the next you know twenty four months to five years? You know what do you see right now as what's next? What's the big opportunities that are there that they should be aware of? Well, James, what I give more than a few speeches these days, fewer now since COVID, but uh, sure. one of the things I say is, and I really believe, is there's never been a better time ever to get into the payments industry than right today. Huh. And why is that? Because so much of the, of the businesses in this country are upgrading their technology and payments is at the center of just about all of it, or at least part of all of it. And so really learning and understanding the, the what seems to be unrelated to payments is really a big deal. And using the equipment, like a point of sale system, uh, obviously used to keep track of the cash and the tickets and so on. Uh, it also can do a lot of other things. So one of the successes we have right now is integrating time and attendance uh -huh. into the POS and then pulling that time and attendance out to go to uh, the payroll business company, the payroll provider, and uh, that creates additional revenue streams. It, it creates more savings and so on uh, for the merchant savings of time. And when you can do something, when you can save them time, especially root, you know, routine work that's boring, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to be a winner. So I think investing time to understand the technologies out there in the worlds that you want to sell in gives you a really great future, I think, in, the, in this industry. Let me ask a follow-up question to that, Bob, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like putting myself in the place of our audience and they listen to you say that and everybody agrees with you. And yes, that's the opportunity, integrated payments. But then it doesn't get implemented because doesn't, there's no execution because it's overwhelming. And I think a lot of the ISOs say, you know, oh my goodness, there's 700 different point of sale solutions. There's all these different things. You know, how do we learn all of this? You know, do you have any thoughts on, you know, executing and, and actually, you know, it's like, yes, yeah, so we get it. That's the opportunity. How do we take advantage of it? Is it a vertical focus? Is it, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the way to kind of execute and really take advantage of that opportunity? Well, I think we're in an era now, and you can, Patty, you can check back with me in five years. Okay. But uh, uh, I think we're in an era where the uh, model of forcing merchants to use your, uh, the processing uh, by an ISP, that's going to last a little, uh, it's going to last for a while. But I don't think that model is sustainable. I'm talking about, you, I'm not going to name names of any companies, but when you're forced to, process with processor A and you have a contract that allows you to your rates to be raised, which is most of the contracts um, in reality, if you really look at the language right. and the terms and huh. conditions. So the, I, I don't think that model is going to last very long and merchants are getting taken advantage of uh, because of the asymmetric knowledge gap between mm -hmm. the sales rep and the and the merchant by, you know, by the, um, on the payments uh, statement. So I, I think that 
merchants get ticked off when they feel like they're being screwed over. And yep. that's going that's happening already a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. and it's going to happen more and more. And this idea that, okay, I'm the ISV and I'm going to dictate how much you're going to pay for these other services. I don't, I think that's going to come to an end, not overnight, but slowly. That's just not a sustainable model for smart huh. merchants. And look how smart merchants stop paying $79 a month for a stupid $300 terminal. Right. You know, merchants do get educated. Right. And they're being educated real fast right now by huh. several companies that are well-known in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, Bob, it's been uh, just a real pleasure talking with you and I uh, appreciate you sharing all these insights. Um, I know that our audience is going to want to learn more about you and about uh, Beyond. So where would you send them to learn more about the opportunities at Beyond? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, you can go to Amazon. Uh, my middle name is Owen, Robert Owen Carr. I've written three books since 2015. Uh, two of them are mostly about my public charity and the other one's really sort of about, about my career primarily. And then we have a website for, uh, for the company, uh, uh, getbeyond.com. And for the charity, we, our website is uh, giveback.ngo. So those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Awesome. Bob, this is this is awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I was really thrilled when James said that he lined you up as an interview. Well, when I saw your name on there, I thought there's surely there aren't two Patty Murphy. <laughs> well, there are, but not in this business. <laughs> anyway, James, uh, congratulations on your great reputation. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by CCSalesPro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. Everybody, I'm really excited today about the questions from the field, and I am, I'm really excited, Patty, to be able to answer this question because it's been asked so many times over the last three years, and I've never had a good answer for it, which is, how do you do cash discounting for a restaurant that does uh, that, you know, a, a full service fine dining type restaurant where there's tips involved? And it's, yeah, that's, a, that's a really complicated thing. Because, right. So it's, you know, yeah, I think, sure. I think it's like the first way to answer the question is let's, you know, frame the problem, right? So like... If you're a restaurant, uh, you're selling a restaurant on cash discounting, well, the problem is that you're calculating this non-cash adjustment or service fee or whatever you call it, and mm -hmm. that's going to be a percentage of the total bill. Well, the problem is the consumer has to know what the total bill is before you charge them, right? Right. So if you, you know, the way this normally works, I go to eat food. I hand somebody my credit card, they go in the back, they bring me back a bill, it says, here's the amount, I add a tip, I sign it, and I leave. Well, then, how do you charge a service fee or a non-cash adjustment on the tip, right? right? Well, there's been a couple ways that that's been handled or people have tried to handle it. One way, uh, there's two kind of extremes. One way is, well, we're only going to charge the non-cash adjustment on the, on the primary amount, we're not going to add it to the tip. Well, that creates a reporting nightmare because then the merchant at the end of the month, they get their statement that says, well, we collected 
this service fee revenue, but you still owe us more money because somebody has to pay that 4% or three and a half or whatever it is on the tip revenue. And so the merchants Correct. are always like, well, what do you mean? Why is, why do I have to pay this? You know, how are you calculating it? It's very confusing because you also don't know. It's not like the terminal knows how much the tip is usually. So, you know, there's a tip adjust, but it's not, the, the reporting isn't there, you know, like on the statement, it's like right. when you get your merchant statement, it says you did this much revenue and this much in tips. It doesn't say that. So it was very confusing. The other like really extreme example was just do pay at the table. So encourage your merchant to buy seven wireless terminals and give one to each server. And then they do, they hand the machine to the consumer. Now that's what they've been doing in Canada for years. And right. that's a viable option, but it's very difficult as far as from a sales perspective, either you're paying for these terminals or you're asking the merchant to, and these are generally right. three, four, five, six hundred $600 terminals. So there's this, this extra barrier there to make it work. Also consumers in the U S are just not really that used to it yet. Um, yeah, so, I, I, you know, I went to a restaurant like that and it kind of like weirded me out. It, it's it's like a little so, strange because the server is standing there when you're figuring out the tip. Right. That's the, that's the awkward exactly. moment, you know? And that's what I didn't like about it because yeah. it's like tipping to me is sort of like a secret kind of thing. Yeah. You, you want to leave and it's like, I anonymous leave and it wasn't anonymous of course, but you just kind of feel that way. Right. Well, right. so here's the good news. Okay. I really believe it's time to kind of reimagine the way that this can work with QR codes. Um, and so there's two, uh, like, I don't know if you guys saw maybe six months ago, actually Clover came out with their QR code pay at the table thing, which is nice. Okay. But of course that's limited to Clover and, you know, first data. So that's right. not really the right. kind of solution that our audience is interested in from a you know larger scale, because a lot of these fine dining places already have a different system or whatever. Well, mm -hmm. Great news. I literally just found out today, our sponsor on the podcast, Valor Paytech, which we've talked about often here already in the last few weeks, Valor Paytech just rolled that out. So the idea is, you know, you can give your smaller restaurants either that standalone um, real nice terminal that they have, um, you know, that has the gateway behind it and all that. Or you can do a mm -hmm. semi-integration. They do semi-integrations with almost all the POS solutions where you can put a terminal on the side. And then that terminal is going to print a receipt. So, you know, imagine the consumer gives you, uh, you know, that you go to the consumer and they're like, we want our check. You can give them the check and you could say, um, you know, there's a QR code in the bottom of the receipt. If, if you scan that with your phone, Mr. Consumer, um, you can go ahead and pay right there on the convenience of your mobile device. Um, or if you'd like, I can go grab a terminal from the back and we can do pay at the table. So, I think that the winning wow. solution here for cash discounting is going to be you still want to have like maybe one wireless terminal that you can use for this. But sure. I think most mm -hmm. consumers are just going to be much more comfortable on the phone. And, and you'd have to see a demo to really appreciate it. But it's really slick because you you just scan the QR code on the receipt and it literally pops right up on your phone. If you have Apple Pay or Google Wallet, you can pre-fill them easily. Mm -hmm. But even mm -hmm. if you don't have those devices, maybe some of the consumers that aren't used to that, there's a little um, camera icon and you click on that. And it accesses right. your camera and you just hold your card up to the camera and the camera pulls the credit card number, expiration date, and all that right from the card and you just key in the CVC code. Um, that is slick. Yeah, that and you slick, and slick. then you can do your tip. But here's the cool thing, of course. All of that, it has cash discounting built in. So the non-cash adjustment is like calculating in real time so that when you add the tip, oh. it's adding the non-cash adjustment on the tip revenue as well. Very nice, very nice. That you know, it's interesting to me because QR codes are really kind of coming into their time, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. You know, for years, we've it's sort of been off to the side, like, yeah, QR codes are, you know, they're the future, and then nobody 
you know, hadn't right. done much with them. And lately, right. you know, I'm it's becoming a way so of life. Yeah. Applications. Yeah. 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 I agree with you. A lot, a lot of applications are going that direction because it's just so easy. Everybody has a phone and like, you know, now the both uh, Android and iPhone now have that thing where if your camera is over a QR code, it automatically recognizes it. You don't have to open a QR code app anymore. That was a know, big, that was I a big know. hindrance. I always used to hate that because you got, where's that QR yes. code app? You know, that reader. Right. Whereas now it's just your camera, your, your phone camera just reads it and pops it right up. Um, so That's it's, interesting you know, I, yeah, I have a, one of those Google phones, uh, right. whatever it's an Android device. Yeah. Yeah. Device. But it's, but it's, I accidentally one time, you know, was, was doing my camera and it slipped onto a QR code and then all of a sudden the QR code pops yep. up yep. and it was like, wow, that's really yep. cool because I always like you. I didn't like using the QR code applications because right. that meant I had to go through my apps and find the right app. And, right. You know. Right. Well, I definitely think, Patty, I would say it's 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 finally time that, you know, especially feed on the street type reps and things like that that have been avoiding the restaurants because of the non -ca the, the cash discounting. Um, right. I think it's finally time for you to get a processor agnostic solution like Valor Paytech. Again, they're you know, full right. transparency. They are the sponsor of our podcast. But honestly, if I would have seen this feature, I would have brought this up anyway because it's so cool. But, right. you know, get somebody like that where they're processor agnostic, where they have the QR code and they have the pay at the table wireless terminals as well. And it's time for right. you to go into the, some of these merchants and say, look, we're going to save you you know, a thousand a month, 2000 a month, you know, let's set this up. It's actually more convenient and secure for the consumer and it's going to have the cash uh, discount. So, um, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Um, if you haven't gotten a demo yet, you've got to get a demo of this thing. I'm telling you, it is, yeah, me, it Patty is and I really were really slick. blown away. It's cool. Yeah. So they'll do a free demo for you. So ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Um, set your demo up. You know, James, I, um, I've seen a lot of demos in my, in my many, many years yes. in this business. And most of the time I sit through a demo and just kind of like, okay, yeah. Uh -huh, right. Uh -huh. Like you I've know, seen this like, before. <laughs> you're right. I've seen this 50 times already. Right. But when we sat through that, that demo, I was just engrossed and I, I don't know. I think we probably spent an hour with them. Yeah. Um, showing us all the features yep. and I was blown away. I really yep. was. And it was clearly one of the best, you know, the most, um, the most actionable. Uh, right. Demos. They really had us kind of engaged and right. showing us because they really get you invited with the phone. They have you, they send text receipts and all that. And like one of the other things right. I just thought of too, like, you know, that goes right along with it. They even now have the tip adjust where after the transaction right. is settled, you can go into the back mm -hmm. office into that, um, uh, well, the dashboard and you can actually do a tip adjust right. there after the right. transactions even settled, you can still add it on there. So anyway, they have a lot of cool stuff for restaurants. So I would encourage you if you're looking to tap into that market, it's kind of an untapped market right now with cash discounting. Um, and I it's agree. one where with the QR code stuff, I really think it's, uh, it's a big opportunity. So I'd encourage you to check it out and get a free demo and see what you think. And also, you know, I would just add, you know, it, it, it's been hard to sell the restaurants cash discounting, right? but they need it now more than ever. They do. They really do. Yep. Yeah. Good point. And then of yeah. course, all the e-invoicing and all the other stuff that goes along with delivery and everything, you want to have all that stuff. So mm -hmm. anyway, enough of that, but uh, hey everybody, thanks so much. I'm excited to be able to finally answer that question. It's one I've been getting a lot of the last three years. I think restaurants, uh, and I know they've been in play to some extent for a while, but now they are absolutely in play. Even the smaller ones where you just need a standalone terminal, you know, the smaller pizzerias and things like that. These places are all in play for cash discounting now. So go to ccsalesforcom slash Valor check it out, get a demo, and start selling it to restaurants. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet, 
For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, you know, James, the Small Business Administration is uh, making it easier for some businesses to seek for forgiveness on PPP loans. It's announced a simpler, streamlined forgiveness application process. Well, that's good to know. I actually didn't a, know that, so I, I need to yeah, find out yeah. what this process is myself. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, I looked at the process myself, oh, maybe two or three weeks ago, because I'm thinking, I need to get on top of this right, so it doesn't right. come back and bite me. Sure. Right. And I took, you know, so I went on the SBA site. I looked at the uh, the forgiveness document, and I was like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> you know, I was like, it sure. was like, "Oh my god!" Like so many government forms. I felt yes. like it, when I started filling it out, it's like this is like doing my income taxes, and I right. pay somebody to do my income right, taxes, right, right, sure. So, uh, and uh, so what you know what this is about is. Um, it's a, it's, if you've got a loan for 50 grand or less, mm-hmm. it's a one page form. Ah, so this is not going to help me at all, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was afraid of that. I was going to say that, but, but it helps me. Uh, right, right. Um, yeah, that's know? all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it'll okay, help, it'll help all of our individual agent listeners and small ISO as, as well. And that, so, that's yes. the point I want to yes. make, especially for the individual agents that got a PPP loan sure. or the small ISOs that only have a few employees, right? you know, they could probably benefit from this. Sure. Just, just to backtrack, you know, for anybody who isn't aware, the PPP was part of the, that giant coronavirus stimulus package right. that uh, Congress passed, I believe it was in March, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. And it resulted in 5.2 million small business loans worth about 525 billion. Wow. Um, you know, the loans can be forgivable, but to have the full amount you have forgiven, you have to spend at least 60% of the loan proceeds on um, payroll costs. And if you don't, then the forgiveness amount gets lowered by a certain percentage. Um, but like we said, the paperwork is horrendous. Right. Um, and they're actually, what I didn't realize until I started reviewing the SBA notice, which came out earlier this month, is that there are actually three forms for forgiving, three different forms, depending on the nature of the business and the size of the loan. And so this this third one was the one that was approved um, in early October for um, for the fifty thousand loans. Um, so basically, you know, it means that you know, for especially for small businesses or micro businesses, they're going to get their loans wiped out pretty easily instead of having to. Um, cobble together a lot of paperwork mm. from your accounting systems and banks and everything. All you have to do is um, create, uh, you know, your uh, your tax statements for your payroll taxes. Okay. And your bank and your bank statements. Okay. And uh, any kind of uh, receipts that you might have received for. Uh, you know, like uh, I use QuickBooks. They they send me a receipt every month sure. for my payroll right, uh, right. costs, right? Sure. And um, so you and just like you SBA just you just upload you, that or something to the you, do you upload it to the SBA website? Are you doing this all online or is this actually something you print out and mail in well, or what? Is, well, that's the thing. It, it, 
the SBA form is just a uh, template that the banks can use. You actually have, you to, have to get it from your bank. bank. Okay. That's, I kind of right. thought that because my bank had, had sent me some things about how, you know, there were some changes or whatever, and they were going to let me know, you know, what, what we need to fill out. So, yeah. So, so to clarify, you're saying these are new guidelines the SBA is putting out that's allowing yeah. banks to use a simpler way to do this. Right. Okay. Right. Got it. Okay. And then, and then, you know, um, it's also, you know, clearly you have to go to your bank and clearly you have to have at least the basic paperwork available. Uh, but here's something that I thought was really interesting is, um, you know, back in June or July, they passed some new laws, uh, a new law that allowed uh, businesses to extend how long they use the money, you know, when it was first issued, yes. I got my loan in April, right. I had 10, I had a 10 weeks to spend it. Right. And right. then, and then they expanded that to 24 weeks. And if you got your loan earlier, you could opt into 10 or 24. Right. Right. You know, it was kind of confusing that way. Yes. Um, so, you know, but I thought that, um, what was interesting is that, and this, this I think would apply to a lot of our listeners. I know it applies to me. If you are the owner and only employee mm -hmm. of the company, the actual applicable amount of how much you can you can uh, spend on payroll is a little bit lower than if you have several employees. Huh. Interesting. Let me explain this. Yeah. So, so for a business owner who is the only employee, the twenty-four week compensation cap is twenty thousand eight hundred and thirty-three dollars. Okay. Which is about, you know. That's the maximum. The, that's the maximum amount that they the, can get forgiven for payroll expense. Exactly. Or okay. uh, the two and a half month equivalent of their applicable compensation in 2019. Got it. Whichever is lower. Okay. Whichever is lower. Right. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I so to, I have a lot of numbers yeah, here, so yeah, I have yeah. to cut So let me, see, let me see if I can restate that for our listeners to, to make sure I'm saying it right. So what I'm hearing you say is, you know, when we got the original payroll protection program loan, it was based primarily on 2019 payroll numbers, since the All idea right. was to, you know, cover the cost of payroll for a period of time. So now what you're saying is there is a cap because they're not going to... Um, they're not going to reimburse or allow you to write off payroll when you're paying yourself $500,000 a year. There is a cap. Correct. And in this case, the cap Correct. over 24 weeks was like 20,000, over $20,000, or right. it's that amount of payroll for what you did last year in 2019, whatever your average payroll was. So you, they're not going to forgive for that period of time. Right. So they're not going to forgive more payroll than what you paid yourself last year for the same period of time. And Correct. if you paid yourself a lot, they're only going to forgive up to a certain amount. Right. And, okay. and, and then if you, so that's for the, and again, that's for the 24 week compensation right. spread. If you took the, uh, if you took the lower, the eight week covered period, right. it's a little over 15,000 is all you can pay yourself. Got it. Okay. Okay. So just to sort of throw that out there, cause I know when hmm. the loan first came out, I don't know about you, but I heard from people like, Oh, I'm going to give myself a raise. You know, I can make a lot more money cause I got all this more. Yeah, it's fine. Just don't give yourself such a raise that it's right. out of reach and it becomes sure. You know, well, well, and technically, so. you really can't give yourself a raise in a way because if you raise the compensation more than what you got in 2019 for the same right. period, right? Then like it has to still be below that cap. 
It has to be below that cap, exactly. All right. Okay. Wow. So, so here, okay. here's a, here's an interesting, also a couple interesting numbers I picked up. Uh, this new change in rule affects about 3.5 million loans. Okay. Or about 66% of the PPP borrowers, but only 9% of all the money that was left through the program. Hmm. Which wow. I thought was really interesting. You know, so basically... 66% of the loans that went out uh, were for 50,000 or less. Hmm. Wow. That's actually really impressive. I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. I was very impressed with that number. I thought, cause no, I don't know about you, but I read all these stories about, you know, companies that got millions of dollars right. and they went out and bought Lamborghinis or whatever, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> right. Well, but I have to say though, I mean, in fairness, you know, that also means that 40% of the loans were more than 50,000. And you'd have to think that the top 10% of those loans, the top 10% of those PPP loans might've exceeded the value of the lower 90%. Right. So it's like, even oh, though, yeah, for sure. right. Because there's obviously a lot more people that are individuals than there are that are massive companies. So, right. but anyway, right. but yeah, I mean, it is, I mean, it is good to know that there's a lot of loans that went out that are for, you know, really small businesses that need help. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, just in case anybody's interested, the SBA has published a sam the sample forgiveness applications on its website, which is sba.gov. Yep. Um, but you have to actually work through your bank to get it done. And um, also another reminder, the deadline for forgiveness is 10 months after the, after the covered period ends. That's actually coming up really soon, isn't it? Well, I did the, you know, I was thinking about it because I got, for example, for me, I got my loan in mid-April, which yeah. means it was the end of June, right? which means that it's going to be, you know, uh, six, you know, probably close to April. April. Oh, March, so we still got some time. Okay. March or April. Yeah. Good. So we still have time, but it's worthwhile. If you got one of those loans, go take a look at the form, yeah, for sure. make sure you have all the information that you need and then check with your lender. Sure. I checked with my lender. They're not ready to start doing a forgiveness sure. program yet. But you know, one of the things I'll will. one of the thing I'll just throw out there real quick as a as a tag on here. Um, you know, I don't know how many of our listeners got the EIDL advance, right? Uh, which was just forgivable by nature. If you got it, it's forgiven. But um, they may not be aware that the EIDL also is doing loans. Yeah, you, know, you have to pay them back. They're not forgivable. Um, right, right. But our company took advantage of that as well because why would you not like it literally mm -hmm. it was like um i wish i could remember the numbers now <laughs> not well not free money because you don't have to pay it back but well it, the eidl the original th you know thousand per employee was free money right so what i'm saying is yeah right so yeah. so so separating these two things we have the eidl advance right we have right. the payroll protection program both of those two things can be forgiven if you do the right thing with the money okay right then we have right. the eidl loan which is the right. disaster relief thing for COVID. Mm -hmm. um, I mm -hmm. believe there's still money in that fund, actually. Um, at least there was as of a couple months ago. But like our company went and got another loan and you qualify for like 50,000, 150,000, 300,000, depending on the size of your company. Um, but I know several individual agents that got a twenty-five dollars to $50,000 loan and there's no payments on it for a year. Then you pay, uh, it's a third, after that it converts into a 30 year, 30 year loan, loan right. and it's at like 
I don't know, 1% or something. It's really ridiculous. I think it's like 1.5%. I, I mean, now that you're talking about it, I do yeah. remember that. So, I mean, it's not free yeah. money per se, but if your business but is struggling close. or if you're like me, I you know, we just started this whole new division with our statement analysis, AI and all that, and I knew I was going to be burning a lot of capital to do that. And I'm like, well, I could fund it myself or <laughs> I could get the money with like pretty much 0% interest over 30 years and not pay anything for 12 months on it. So, you know, we, we went that route. And so that's just another one of those things for people to look at maybe that are still looking for some additional, uh, you know, uh, funding to grow their business or to kind of survive through the COVID thing. Well, also, you know, consider, I mean, 1.5%, let's say that's what the amount is. Right. Well, you know, if inflation... You know, if we ever right. get back to an inflationary situation, right, that gets wiped out pretty quickly. It does. It really does. And and again, you know, you, you know? The, the thing like the way we look at it is, and it's funny. Now I'm saying all this, but ironically, that money is actually still sitting in our bank account. Um, you know, the way my business partner and I looked at it was, if we borrowed for like for our company, it was 150 thousand. I'll just say what it was. So we got 150 thousand, right? Well, that money we just put that in our bank account and decided, you know what? That's what we did is we actually let the money build up in another account and we use that 150 for payroll because that's an allowable expense because there's still guidelines about what you can spend it on. But right. the cool thing is, you know, we actually just left it there. And what we said was, well, hey, maybe we don't even need it. Fine. Then maybe in a year we just decide, let's just pay it back before the first payment comes due because it's you have 12 months of no payments. Right. So our thing was more of like a cushion. So it's like, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. <clears throat> we don't know how fast our statement analysis thing is going to grow, but we might burn some really big cash flow here. So let's just put 150000 in the bank. It's free. Why not? Um, and then I think we paid like $125, you know, application fee or something. And then it's like, it's there and you can always just pay it back, you know, whenever you want right. to. There's no prepayment penalty. Right. Yeah, and I do believe there's still some of that money left. I do. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure. On yep. Yeah. Yep. So, anyway, so, so good stuff. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Patty. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.